Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. There's been a lot more pressure in California to change the way Uber and Lyft treat their drivers. But gig companies are fighting hard to keep things the way they are even if it means defying a court order and skirting a new state law. Uber and Lyft have been in a tug-of-war with drivers and labor advocates who want employee status. And they're not going to yield until they are absolutely forced to. Assembly Bill 5 went into effect in January, requiring gig companies like Lyft and Uber to reclassify their drivers from contractors to employees. Yet the companies dragged their feet and didn't offer their drivers basic protections that would have really helped during this pandemic. So now there's another battle between California and these gig companies. And this time, it might actually lead to some changes. I'm Erica cruz Welcome to the Bay. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. So this chapter right now in the Uber Lyft story is a big deal because for the first time in eight years, something might actually change. Sam Harnett covers tech and work for KQED, and he's been covering the legal battles between gig companies and state and local governments. And this year, a new state law called AB5 took effect, which was meant to force gig companies to make big changes. AB5 is a law that is basically targeted at gig companies like Uber and Lyft. And the law makes it far more difficult for companies to say that their workers are contractors instead of employees. The hope after AB5 became law from labor advocates was that Uber and Lyft drivers would finally be treated as employees. But even though AB5 became law in January, nothing has changed. And nothing has changed because Uber and Lyft and other gig companies simply decide to ignore the law. If you think there are a lot of homeless people on the street today, let every job be hired through an app and have no rules. Lorena Gonzalez, the assembly member who wrote AB5, she specifically named Uber, Lyft, and other gig companies as being in violation of labor law, and she specifically tied her AB5 to those companies. In letting a new industry come in and say, because I hire you through an app, I don't have any rules. So it's clear that the person who wrote AB5 was thinking of these companies and changing their business models. And even so, after AB5 became law, the companies ignored it. 
So how have Lyft and Uber been able to just ignore laws like this? I mean, if you look at Uber and Lyft's history, whenever there was a local or state regulation that they didn't like, like whenever a city council tried to put a cap on how many vehicles they could put out or they tried to put a minimum fare rate, Uber and Lyft would threaten to leave until that local agency bowed to their will. And they did this in Austin, they did it in Chicago, they've done it in New York, Seattle, like over and over and over again, these companies have threatened to leave or they've left temporarily until things have changed and then they've come back. Uber and Lyft have grown because they've been victorious in these legal battles. After Uber got the California Public Utilities Commission to give them an entire new regulatory category, the venture capital started to flow in. I mean, these companies are built on venture capital and the venture capital came from them proving that they didn't have to abide by local taxi laws and that they were able to continue classifying their workers as contractors instead of employees, even though it was legally suspect. So before the pandemic, what was the status of this conflict between Uber and Lyft and California's government? Yeah, it was a really interesting moment right after AB5 became law. I spoke with a person inside Lyft who said, we're expecting to get sued any day because we know this law targets us and we're not following AB5. We're not classifying drivers as employees. So we're waiting for the lawsuit. But there was no lawsuit. January passed, February, March. April, no lawsuit. But then, of course, when the pandemic hit in March, that changed everything. I think in the beginning, in the opening of the pandemic, people thought, well, maybe this will just go away. Well, it didn't go away. It kept getting worse and worse. April happens, May, and by May, the plight of the gig workers is getting a lot of attention. Tens or hundreds of thousands of Uber and Lyft drivers in California went to the state during the pandemic and said, "Okay, we need unemployment because we can't make any money. And the state had zero dollars for them because Uber and Lyft had never paid a cent into the state unemployment fund. So when that happened, obviously, politicians in Sacramento were really upset because suddenly had all these workers with no money and the state didn't have any money to give them unemployment. And the California state attorney general decides to sue Uber and Lyft. In California, those who drive for Uber and Lyft lack basic worker protections, from paid sick leave to the right to overtime pay. And the announcement of this lawsuit is a a pretty big deal. I mean, if you listen to the tape of Becerra, he holds no punches in saying what's wrong with these companies and what damage is done to workers by classifying them as contractors. In that press conference in May, Becerra says point blank that the pandemic played a role in waking the executive branch of California to go after these companies. Both claim that their drivers aren't engaged in the company's core mission and cannot therefore qualify for benefits. We say otherwise. Sometimes it takes a pandemic to shape us into realizing what that really means and who suffers the consequences of it. And just how much did the pandemic and sheltering in place shake things up for Uber and Lyft? It is impossible to overstate how big of a game changer this was. Like Uber and Lyft for their last eight years have relied on the love of consumers to continue their business models. They're beloved by consumers for a lot of reasons. I mean, number one, they use their venture capital to keep their rides cheap. Uh, By avoiding taxi laws and regulations, They get to do things that are great for consumers, like flood the streets with Ubers and Lyfts that you can take at any time. Their business model basically is built on appealing to consumers who who are voters 
and and then becoming something that consumers love so much that they don't want the, the service to leave. Uh, and with the pandemic, suddenly people aren't traveling around as much. Uber and Lyft rides plummeted after the pandemic. I mean, who wanted to get in a car with a stranger uh, and be driven around when there's a infectious virus that can kill you, right? And I would say, really, the pandemic did two major things. First, it destroyed consumer demand for Uber and Lyft, which got rid of that leverage. And second, suddenly, all of these drivers for Uber and Lyft, they're unemployed. The question of whether Uber and Lyft will lose to the state still hangs in the balance. Before the case even went to trial, Attorney General Javier Becerra won an injunction that required the two companies to classify their drivers as employees immediately. But Uber and Lyft successfully appealed that. And now they're also trying to win by getting support from voters at the ballot box. Once AB5 becomes law, Uber, Lyft, and a bunch of other gig companies start funding a ballot initiative called Proposition 22. And Proposition 22 would exempt Uber, Lyft, and other gig companies from this new labor law. It would allow these companies to continue classifying their workers as contractors instead of employees. And Uber and Lyft and other gig companies have paid over $200 million uh, on this ballot proposition. And really, you know, we're going to wait now into the election. I mean, we're going to see what happens with Proposition 22, and we're going to see how this court case resolves itself. And how is Uber and Lyft now trying to win support from riders and their drivers, especially since things are so different now? Even though the attorney general is suing Uber and Lyft, like these companies are not backing down. And you got to remember, they still have billions and billions of dollars in venture capital. And that billions of dollars means they have tools to fight. So these companies are hiring PR firms. They're funneling more money into the Prop 22 campaign to get that ballot initiative passed. They're fighting the lawsuit aggressively. Uh, They've been on Twitter, uh, calling out people who are, are trying to oppose them. I mean, they're, they're, they're waging an all-out war to continue classifying workers as contractors. One of their major rhetorical points is they continue to say that drivers want the flexibility of being an independent contractor and they don't want to be employees. And that's a very slippery point because if you look at a lot of the surveys that this data about what drivers prefer, if you look at at those surveys, a lot of the questions are framed in a way where on one hand, you have independent contractor status and flexibility. On the other, you have employee status, some protections, but a lot of rigidity. And the truth is, it's a false dichotomy. You know, if you go and ask any driver, like, what do you love about this job? One of the first things they say is the freedom and flexibility. But then if you ask them, well, what if you could have that freedom and flexibility, but also have like basic protections like unemployment insurance or overtime? They're like, yeah, of course we would take that. So really the answer to that question of do you want to be a contractor or an employee is we want to have flexibility and some basic protections. That's the real answer. I'm curious for the consumer and just for people who are maybe at home now, but at some point I imagine will be outside again, um, driving around San Francisco. Is it inevitable at this point that Uber and Lyft will be changed by this moment? Like, should we just expect that? Or is there a scenario where Uber and Lyft can come out of this unscathed? Well, I think the tricky thing is Uber and Lyft are going to change anyway. I mean, they're still unprofitable. They don't have a successful business model yet. They're still relying on the take a lot of venture capital, grow really fast. And there's, you know, autonomous cars are still part of their sort of moonshot business strategy, which is people are very skeptical of that actually happening. So Uber and Lyft are going to change regardless. 
Now, they could win with Proposition 22, and they could get a carve-out so they're exempted from the labor law and can continue classifying workers as contractors. And in that sense, you know, drivers won't be paid very much and rides might not go up. So yeah, Uber and Lyft may not have to change their business model. They could still win against now what would be all three branches of California's government. And you've been covering Lyft and Uber since the beginning, and you've watched as politicians and consumers bought essentially for years into the promises of the gig economy. What does this moment, this court battle, lawmakers' response all mean? I mean, for me, if you look at it, like what's driven the decision making has been uh, the benefit of consumers. Consumers love a cheap ride, but that ride comes at a bunch of costs, and a lot of those costs are sort of invisible. As a consumer, you don't know if your Uber and Lyft driver is sleeping in their car or if they're working three jobs and 80 hours a week or, you know, the cost of the congestion in in the streets. As a rider, you don't know how long the, the bus has been delayed because it's been sitting in traffic with a bunch of Uber and Lyfts. So there's a bunch of hidden costs that we really haven't been accounting for. And it's it's changed it because it's like upped the urgency, basically. Yeah. With the pandemic, suddenly the political landscape has changed. And I think a lot of elected officials have been worried for years that if they do something contrary to these tech companies, if they stand up to these tech companies and try to change them, that consumers, voters are going to be really upset and are going to you know, vote them out of office. But now with the pandemic, Suddenly, Uber and Lyft have lost that support of their consumer base, and the public is really outraged at the the lack of the safety net for workers. Like, there is actually palpable anger in this country about the way we treat workers. And that has changed the political climate that I think has, and I think it's allowed California lawmakers and democratically elected officials to be more critical of companies like Uber and Lyft. There's still a lot that could happen with Uber and Lyft in the next few months. There's California's lawsuit and this campaign around Proposition 22. But Sam says this whole story also brings up a bigger question. Do we think as a society that transportation is something that should be handled and determined democratically, you know, through local governments, through elected officials? Or do we think transportation is something that should be in the hands of venture capital-funded private companies? Sam Harnett covers tech and work for KQED. This episode of The Bay was produced by Shannon Lynn and Alan Montecilio. And The Bay has a belated announcement to make. What's that, Finn? You love listening to The Bay podcast from KQED? World, meet Finley Miko Karayama. Hey. Allie, Devin, and Finley here. It's the three of us. Saying we're listening. Listening to the bay. Say hi to daddy's friends. <laughs> the bay is made at your public radio station, KQED. Find us on Twitter. We're at the bay KQED. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara. Talk Friday. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. We'll edit that later. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. 
Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. A young correctional officer. He said it was the most dangerous prison in California. Forced to make a choice. Fulfill his oath or back his fellow officers. Recognize the badge of my office. I'm Suki Lewis. From KQED Podcasts comes On Our Watch Season 2, New Folsom. A story about who gets hurt when the system that promises to keep us safe is bent on protecting itself. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.